0: you may be seated this morning. So glad to have every one of you today and our service live this morning. And those of you that are watching um, one of our venues this morning with our live service here at Victory Church, it's an honor to have you. Thank you for logging in at home on your computer, your phone, whatever device you're using. And for those of you who've come out in the the close of the monsoon we've had going for the last couple of days, we were able to uh, make it through all of that outrageous amount of rain. I, I waited. My dogs probably wondered this morning, when are you going to let us out? And I was trying to let the backyard dry out a little bit so I wouldn't come back home today after lunch with, uh, with three muddy dogs that are going to need really baths really badly. So um, <clears throat> I uh, am excited today about this message. If there ever was a message that my life experience has informed me to be able to speak on, it would be today's message. We're doing a series called Endure. How many of you know that there are some things in life that you just can't quit on? You have, you have, to, you have to just grit your teeth and buck up, as somebody said one time, and just go through it. There are some things that you can make some conscious decisions and get out of, there's some things that you can't change, no matter what you do, and you just have to embrace it and go through it. We're experiencing that uh, as a church. We're experiencing that as a nation. We're experiencing that in the world with this pandemic and the, the struggles that we're facing because of that. Some of you have lost loved ones. I was praying with Miss Ann Faulkner this week, who lost her brother and her sister-in-law both to COVID, uh, elderly folk who already had some uh, issues at their age, and then lost a cousin. All three, three family members, literally within just a few days, and it was just praying for her and standing with her. And there are others. I'm, I'm sure here in the congregation, you've lost friends, family members. I was just in Knoxville, Tennessee, with my dear friend Preston Smith. Been a friend since first grade and had the honor to be able to memorialize his sweet mom, 87, um, as she graduated to glory. And so I was in a big, wonderful, majestic, Central Baptist Church, Bearden, Tennessee, there in Knoxville, and was able to celebrate. Um, Pat would always ask me to go to the piano. I I grew up and could go to the refrigerator in their house, just like Preston was at mine, and Baloney, NFL football player, Preston's dad, would always say, no, no, before you go get in that refrigerator, you get on the piano and you play us something. And so I um, I played a couple of hymns, did a little bit of jazz, did a classical song, and then I ended it with Rocky Top because Looney was a Hall of Fame, University of Tennessee football player. And uh, he and Pat obviously loved to do that. And so I'm in this grand, majestic Baptist church and I'm playing Rocky Top, Tennessee. (laughs) And I said to one of the people, I said, I sure hope that didn't offend anybody. One little lady said, oh, no, honey, that's a hymn around here. <laughs> you know, I believe that in the middle of the difficulty we face, that we ought to be able to have some joy. We ought to be able to laugh. We ought to be able to find a place of enjoyment. This series called Endure, I believe, is so critical for us as believers that we trust God, work hard, never quit. Those are the three things that my folks generations back taught me. Trust God, work hard, never quit. And so endurance is about the never quit component. The text this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 12. The title of the message is called Endure in Suffering. Endure in Suffering. Everybody say that with me. Endure in Suffering. I want to speak to that just a few moments this morning, the text is found in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us, everybody look at your neighbor and say, there's something we have to do. And let us run with, there. It, here it is, hupomone, with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy, everybody say joy. Got some joy, 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 joy down in my heart because of what joy Jesus had awaiting him. It says because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, King James says despising its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne, think of all the hostility he, hupomone, he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. Those of you that are part of victory, maybe you've been tuning in, logging in for a while, you know that I I use a one thing concept that. Is repeated through the message, and it's repeated on purpose. Repetition is a critical learning tool. God is not afraid to repeat things to me. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter three, he said, "For me to say the same things to you, brothers, it's not grievous, and for you, it's safe. It's a safeguard." And so, this morning, I I bring this concept to bear throughout the message. We must choose to gr- to grow through what we. Go through. Say it with me. Choose to grow through what you go through. Say it again. Choose to grow through what you go through. Don't waste the circumstances that you're in currently in your life. God is working a far more eternal weight of glory. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared to the glory which is going to be revealed into us. What I'm going through is not worth being compared to what God is working in me and through this set of circumstances. I must choose to grow through what I go through. Quick review. This concept of endurance is a Bible word, a Greek word, hupomone. We jokingly say this sounds like something you would say at a Greek wedding when everybody's doing the Greek dance and the legs are crossing and they're in the circle and, uh, and, and they're having all the fun that they have in those weddings. and Everybody say hupomone. <laughs> hupomone. hoopo is the Greek prefix like our English hypo. A hypodermic needle goes under your dermis, under your skin. Hoopo means under. And then money means to abide or to remain. Jesus said, if my words money in you and you money in me, then you can ask what you will and it shall be done. That's John 15. King James says, if my words abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And so we want to be people who are not attempting to escape our difficult seasons. There are things that obviously we do corrections that can be made, course corrections, taking a different direction, learning the lesson, and then sometimes we can get a, a relief from the circumstances we're facing. But many times there are things that we can't do to change what we're experiencing. And so we don't want to waste them. We want to hoopomone. We want to abide under, remain under, so that we can carry this thing to the finish. It's It, it amazes me sometimes when, when folk back when I was in college who would go through the whole semester and then get to the last couple of weeks when you've got a chance to withdraw, and then they pull out of the class. And I'm going, so why did you spend all this time going through it when you don't want to actually just grit your teeth and take the final and probably pass it, maybe not make an A, but you at least pass it and get it behind you? Why do folk want to escape from things when we need to just trust God Work hard, never quit, and then come on and pull through. And because once you pass that thing, you don't have to take that test again. Come on, somebody. You don't have to do the class over again. And so we want to choose to grow through what we go through. Pray with me this morning, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we ask you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that you would. Take the words that you have put into my heart this week, the meditation, the words, Lord, that would penetrate the difficult circumstances that my friends and my family, Lord, this body of Christ and people around the world are facing this morning. God, we're in difficult seasons. The, the description uh, of the, the disunity in our nation right now is difficult to even frame the words. Lord, the, the massive polarization, the hatred, God, we just ask you to bring peace, bring unity, bring revival, Lord, to this nation. Pour out, Lord, a brokenness. Don't let any of us, in the defense of our ideologies, whether they're political or philosophical or theological, Lord, draw a line in the sand and be ready to hurt somebody over an idea. Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord, to be like you. Lord, to endure this stuff and to demonstrate the spirit of love Lord, to consume, to swallow up all of this nonsense around us in our community. Lord, maybe even sometimes even in our own families, the level of disagreement and strife that exists. Help us as men and women of God to be able to deflect that and to absorb it and to be peacemakers. Your word says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God, the mature, full-grown sons of God. We thank you for that. We ask you to help us, Jesus, because you despised yet endured. Lord, you were maligned and vilified, incorrectly, improperly, but yet you chose to love and say, you hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they just don't know what they're doing. Thank you, Father, for your love for us today. Help us as we look to you. Show us how we can endure the suffering, the difficult circumstances that we're facing in our lives today. We look to you, Jesus. We thank you that you've started it. You will finish it. You're the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in your name we pray and everybody said amen. Three things this morning I want to bring to you. First one is consider your crisis. Consider your crisis. It was John F. Kennedy who 50 years ago said... He quoted, he said, that the Chinese language is made up of multitudes of characters, and the, 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 the two characters that make up the word crisis, when they stand alone, one of them is danger, the other one is opportunity. And that's since then been argued. You can Google it, and there are those that say, no, that's not exactly true. And then there are those that say, well, there is, some, there is a truth to this. Regardless, the, the illustration is what I'm going for. In the middle of every crisis you face which comes from the Greek word criteria or criterion, we, we all have tests that we go through. Are we going to meet the criteria? Are we going to be able to do what God has called us to accomplish through the circumstance we're facing so that we can grow through what we're going through and be able to move on? Every crisis we face has some dangerous aspect to it, and yet in the middle of that, there is an opportunity for growth, there is an opportunity for blessing. And it all depends on my perspective. And lest you think I'm just kind of being a little bit philosophical with you, let me show you that this is fully rooted and grounded in scriptural uh, thinking. The Bible says in the book of James, Brother of Jesus, who writes to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad, that's James 1:1. 1, 1. In verse 2, it says this: Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it a what? An opportunity for great joy. Notice this, dear brothers and sisters, when, everybody say when, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And so I want you, if you would put up the graphic for me, those in the booth back there, anytime you encounter trouble between finding the joy of the Lord in the middle of your circumstances, there is this mental middle where I have to stop and consider what I'm dealing with, what I'm going through. Why am I in this? Is it a product of my own bad choices? Or is this something that I didn't have a choice in? Even if I were the victim of someone else's wrong choices, I don't have to live like a victim. Come on, somebody. Because in Christ, I am no longer a victim, but I have been made a victor in Christ. Come on, somebody. Because of His victory. But between trouble and between opportunity for great joy, there is this mental middle where I have to stop and think about this and consider it as an opportunity for God to bring joy. This is what sometimes folk don't understand had a long discussion, I shared it with you last Sunday, with my my lovely daughter Abby, and talking about the the phrase that has become part of the fiber of my life, and that is, I wake up in the morning and I say, I choose joy. It is four years this month, in just a few days, that I lost the love of my life. The fact that I had the ability right then, because it's tried to sneak up on me, and to break down, and to be able to take steps to move toward life and not let this immobilize me, not let this paralyze me. And to be able to say, God, in the middle of this, I know that You are good, even when it doesn't look like You are good. By faith, I know that You are good and that You have, you have a heart toward me to bless me. Lord, not your, your thoughts toward me are of peace and not of evil, and that is to give me a future and a hope. In the middle of a 70-year captivity is what Jeremiah 29 is about. I must consider my crisis. I must consider, am I going to look at the dangerous part and become immobilized? Or am I going to turn in faith and see the opportunity for God's blessing to shine through? My trouble! Because trouble comes to everybody. It rains on the just and the unjust. If there were ever a message that I had if I were a boy scout I would have would have earned the merit badge by now on endurance I do not say that with one lick of arrogance and if you think so please you don't know me you don't know my heart I remember 2 weeks after Dawn died standing in my backyard looking up at the stars that she knew so well she could name the constellations and she taught us how to read the light in the moon and and, and that it moves from the right to the left, and that it's a it's a waxing crescent moon, a waxing gibbous moon, moving into a half moon and a waning gibbous and a waning crescent. And she was the smartest woman I've ever met in my life, just amazing. And then yet for her to make the decision that she made to take her life. And I'm standing out in my backyard, and I'm looking up, and I'm I'm I mean I'm angry, and I'm hurt, and I'm shocked. And I looked up I looked and I said, God, I want to grow through what I'm going through. is this, where this phrase came from in my life. I said, I want to grow through what I'm going through. Don't waste this stood in my backyard, probably talking loud enough for three or four neighbors and houses around to hear me. And I said, God, I feel like I am laid open that you're doing surgery on me in the cosmic operating room. And I feel like my guts have been laid out on the table around me and I'm ripped wide open. I just ask you that while you've got me wide open, that you do what you need to do inside of me because I don't want to waste this grief and this hurt and this anger and this trouble. I knew that I had to choose to grow through what I was going through. Because, you know, folk can waste the circumstance. I didn't have a choice in that. and a matter of fact, in my anger, I stood in my backyard and I said, God, I don't understand this because I didn't sow any seeds to reap this crop. It's quiet in here, but it's right. I'm telling you the truth. We all experience some things that we don't choose. One of the reasons why I took a healthy step back from the faith movement that I was a very definite part of in the 1970s and the early 80s was because of their lack of a theology of suffering. Now I, I know what I'm talking about because I cut my teeth on these folks. I was 10 years old sitting in the gymnasium of Mark Tree, Arkansas when nobody had ever heard of Kenneth Copeland and he came and spoke to a crowd of 500 people and I had a little small reel-to-reel tape recorder and I took it with me and toted it in and heard him teach on principles of faith and it affected my life. It, it taught me how to trust God for things that other folks said, no, you don't. You know, there's really no reason to even pray. Don't, don't, there's, no, there's no power to faith. And, and that was some of the nonsense that I was taught in my early Pentecostal background. And, and yet in those early days, I learned so much from Dr. Kenneth Hagin and from, from Brother Copeland and different ones. But as I continued to grow in my walk in God, I noticed they didn't have any real concept of suffering from Scripture. And they, they taught the idea, uh, even though you, they may have never actually said these words out of their mouth, it was the idea that was given in that movement that if you had enough faith, you wouldn't go through any trouble. And if anything, that's a perverted, Americanized gospel. It, it is, it is a, it's, it's an extent of the health and wealth gospel that I don't embrace. And let me tell you something, I believe Jesus heals. I believe in divine healing. I believe even in divine health. I believe in prosperity. I believe in the blessing of God. I can quote you scriptures on both sides that he delights in the prosperity of his servants. And, 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 and don't store up riches here where moth and rust do, do corrupt. Because let me tell you, there are camps on both sides that will take all their scriptures that prove their point and leave all the others out. And when I realized I had to be a man of the word that looks and embraces the whole counsel of the word of God, then I realized it's not just enough. To, to recognize that God wants to bless me, but I'm going to suffer some things in my life that I didn't choose to go through. Come on, if you've lived very long, you know what I'm talking about. And I had to consider the trouble I was facing so that it could become an opportunity for great joy, where I would say, God, I choose joy. It's not where I'm ignoring my grief. I'm not, I am not squelching it down i am not repressing something that needs to be experienced and faced if anything i was embracing it with all of my heart going god i'm going to feel this to the nth degree because i know that on the other side of it is great joy come on somebody put your hands together and give the lord praise i i remember when i was diagnosed with prostate cancer and i actually had somebody in the church say to me you know you're not supposed to have that kind of stuff happen in your life. And, and, and they didn't mean it like it sounded. I'm going, are you kidding me? Brother, it rains on the just and the unjust. People, people have stuff they have to deal with. And, and, and for folk to think that just because you're a preacher, that you've got a leg up on something. Let me tell you something. i I got, I got to get up out of there and put, put my pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. Now, I, think, I know you think that I just jump into both of them in a Holy Ghost move, but I don't. I have to choose to go- to grow through what I go through. Point number two: Are you getting anything out of this? Yeah. This is a test. It is only a test. I remember just vexing every time that stupid thing would come on and that outrageously awful sound ah, 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 of the emergency broadcast system tune into so and so station. This is a test, it is only a test. And I remember the first time I really heard that and I recognized that this is a thing of God. When you go through something, you must recognize the experience that you're facing. And then, let's just read it real quickly. James one, three, and four, the Bible says, for you know that when your faith is what? Tested your hoopamone, your ability to remain or abide under has a chance to grow. Because I've got to grow through what I'm going through. He says in verse 4, so let it grow. Isn't that what Elsa said? No, she said, she's let it go is what she said. Let it grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance, when your hoopamone is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When your hoopamone comes to the completion of itself... When it says you'll be perfect, it doesn't mean you're faultless or sinless. It, it's the Greek word telos, which means complete. It means you're, you're, you're stepping into the fullness of your purpose. Um, an 18-year-old who's graduated high school is perfect in the Bible sense of the word because they've completed, they've finished their coursework. Someone who begins a bachelor's degree and three or four years later, depending on how fast they take their classes... Three, four, five years, like some of us are on the five year plan. However long it takes you to do that, when you walk across the stage and get your degree, then it's a recognition of perfect work. Doesn't mean you had a four point, but it means that you've completed it. It means it's finished. Matter of fact, the Bible idea of perfection many times is not this idea of sinlessness, it's the idea of being mature. Now, we got folks in the room that are mature, but ain't nobody else in here would raise your hand except for Jesus, who could legitimately raise his hand if I said, how many of you are perfect in the sense of being sinless? No hands going up. Jesus is the only one. I raised mine for him in his stead. I can't put mine up. But in the sense of being mature, then yes, I am biblically perfect. I am complete. I, 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 now, in, in, in one sense, I'm still growing, so there's a maturity even at... I'll be 60 in December. There's still areas of my life and my walk in God that are growing and that are maturing. Somebody say amen. But God says, let your endurance become fully developed. Now, let's go back to, you don't have to put it back up again, but notice what it says, when troubles come. Everybody say, when and not if. When preparing for the storm, there were two people building houses. This is found in... Matthew 6, and I believe Luke 7 appears in a couple of places in the Gospels. And it says, the wise man dug down deep and built his house upon the rock. And so when, when the storms came, when the rain fell, when the floods rose and it beat against the house, the house stood because it was built solidly upon the rock. And you know, the other story is told to us in, in children's church and in in. Uh, Sunday school, is the foolish man built his house on the sand. And the crazy thing is that sand is broken up rock. It's small, tiny particles of what the wise man built his house on in the solid sense. What does that mean to build my house upon the sand? It means that I go to the Word and I just pick a few particles that are favorites of mine. Somebody said to me one time, said, what is the Lord saying to you? I said, everything in my Bible that I don't have underlined. That's what he's saying to me. How many of you hear what I'm talking about this morning? We can't just pick our favorite parts. We can't just cherry pick. We need the whole counsel of the Word of God. I need faith, but I need faith that can stand up in a time of trouble. I need faith. As a matter of fact, that's when you need faith the most. It's easy when your 401k is busting out through the top and the market's doing great and you've got all kinds of returns on your investment and everybody in the house loves you and even the dog is glad to see you when you get home. there's no faith required when you're going through uh, periods of life like that. But when everything that can go wrong, when Murphy's Law fully has showed up at your house, it's been delivered and you had to sign to receive it, it tells you whatever can go wrong will go wrong at the worst wrong time. That's when real faith is required. That's when you have to consider your trouble. That in the middle of that, God can bring you an opportunity for great joy. Problems are when and not if. Every marriage in this room gets tested. It's when and not if. Every life goes through a storm. It's when and not if. Now, understand growth environments. Some of you are in positions right now of greater influence because you had a boss that believed in you and pressed you out of your comfort zone into doing something that you were not comfortable doing. If we ever grow, it's uncomfortable. If we ever really accomplish anything great in our lives, it's because we're willing to take a risk outside of what is the the, the little small area of where I feel good about things, where I really have a sense of security. We have to be willing to get insecure. We have to be willing to put our faith on the line. We have to be willing to embrace some trouble and go through it. It was Dr. Norman Vincent Peale that used to say that every one of your problems has the seeds of its own answers inside it. If we can just consider, if we can stop long enough and pray and look to the answer that God would bring to us, we need to understand growth environments. I've put myself into a place of growth in this last year. The Lord spoke to me. Uh, yes, I'm not afraid. It's not ashamed to say that. I believe that God talks. The problem is most people aren't listening. God whispered a word in my spirit. The word, the Greek word. I'm sorry, the French word, Renaissance. At. The, the close of last year, the beginning of twenty twenty, and this was a word for me my myself personally the the French word renaissance means rebirth, and so I, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, "This is a rebirth year for you and so everything that i 've been doing has been about rebuilding and remaking and and reestablishing and confirming habits and uh, and grabbing hold of some discipline i 've been back in the gym and i 've been Uh, getting up in the morning and doing fasted cardio and I'm on the Peloton bicycle and I'm just riding and I'm sweating profusely and it's ridiculous. And I go in the gym and I I pick up something that's heavier than I normally can pick up and I I press through it. I I, I press through. I hoop them on. I, I abide under the weight of what I'm dealing with because I know that unless I'm willing to embrace some resistance in my life and build some muscle in my older years, that even in the, in the sense of losing weight, that I, I, you can literally just totally mess up your metabolism when all you do is cardio. you gotta, you got to build some muscle. And you got to eat some protein. And you've got to get all this stuff going right. It's like a three-legged stool. You've got to have some cardio, and you've got to get the food right, and you've got to get the resistance training happening. And I'm thankful that there are some results that are happening in my life, and it's because I am trusting God, and I am working hard, and I am not quitting. Come on, somebody. Anything that you accomplish, you're going to accomplish because you get stretched beyond what you think you can do. The, the, the first example of a, of a bodybuilder happened in history when an otherwise genetically strong guy picked up a, a young calf and carried that young calf to the top of the Colosseum. And he made that practice every day. The crazy thing is, as the calf grew, he was carrying more and more and more weight up to the top of the Colosseum. His legs were growing because of taking the steps. His, his, his upper body strength was increasing because of manipulating the weight of that calf that's becoming a cow. And it, it, it's a story, historically, that the more you're willing to take on, the, the, the last thing you need to do as a blood-bought, spirit-filled, holy ghost man or woman of God is to shy away or to shirk away or to try to pull out of your hoopamone. You need to stay under and you need to say, God, I need your strength. In my weakness, let your strength be made perfect. <laughs> That's how... Folk who've prayed and trusted God have given us the greatest inventions of the world. They've faced the problem. They've looked at the necessity. As a matter of fact, it was the father of our nation, George Washington, that said that necessity is the mother of invention. Would to God we had some people that would think like that, that would consider the challenges that we face creatively and scientifically and mechanically. I want to challenge somebody in this room this morning. Don't throw away your dreams. Don't kick your faith out. You had something on the burner for a number of years, and you may have thought it had died, but God wants to resurrect what you thought was dead in your life. I don't know who that's for, but that's a prophetic word right there for somebody right now. (laughs) Y'all get anything out of this? The power of finishing. I read a statistic this year that said 73% of people who set a fitness goal never make it. And I said out loud as I read that, I said, God, I am not going to be part of that 73%. I'm going to be part of the 27% that makes the goal. Because you know what happens? When you set a goal and you accomplish it, there's a sense of trust that you can say, you know what, I gave my word and I finished what I said I was going to do and you can trust yourself, and people around you can trust you because they know that you're a man or a woman of your word, and you're not going to keep trusting God, you're going to keep working hard, and you're never going to quit until you see God do what He has promised. We're standing in the product of 30 years of trusting God, working hard, and never quitting. Come on. <laughs> We're in a pandemic right now. It's like trying to rebuild this church all over again. In the middle of it, I, I, can, I, just, I tell pastors, I say, I just don't even, I don't even know. I don't want this to sound like I don't have faith, but it blows my mind. I, I can't even understand. You know, For a long time, for months, we didn't have church, and we had folk texting in and mailing in their checks. And you know something? We are not late, not yet, not one time on anything in our, in our church, in our budget, and we hadn't had to lay anybody off. That blows my mind. Yes, God is good and God provides. I just want to say, let's just get real specific about where we direct this to. That's because of the generosity of your hearts. That's because of the discipline. That in the middle of a pandemic, you've chosen to say, God, I'm not going to put my giving on a back burner, but I believe that you're going to bring us through this and you're going to bless what I'm putting my hands to in Jesus' name. The trouble we're facing, I'm considering it to be an opportunity for great joy. Come on, somebody, help me this morning. Last point, and I'm finished. God's generous gift of wisdom. And I get that because I have to choose to grow through what I go through. And that's still a choice. uh, Not Galatians, have mercy. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Listen. If you need wisdom, and oh, how I've needed wisdom in facing the things that I've faced the last three four years. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Everybody say, generous God. Know this, your heavenly Father is not stingy. You don't have to sneak up behind His throne. You can come boldly before the throne of grace, whereby we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As a matter of fact, that's another let us passage in Hebrews. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. King James kind of lands funny. It says, who upbraideth not. He finds no fault. He won't rebuke you for asking him for wisdom. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. I need wisdom. I needed wisdom when I lost the love of my life. I can go through something and merely get the knowledge of that experience, but that's not what I'm looking for. Folk get knowledge all the time. I can crack open a book and learn I can get knowledge. But the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Scripture says wisdom is the principal thing, Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. I believe what I go through, that God has something that he wants to show me and teach me in order to come away from that thing that is not just merely answering the question of what, that's knowledge, but giving me the answer to the question of why. Why is wisdom? Why is the wisdom of God? You know, how many of you had children and you've been on a road trip and they get bored and they start saying, you know, how much longer? And you say, oh, about an hour and two hours later they say, how much longer? And you say, oh, about an hour. And you're just, just trying to keep, you know. And in those long road trips they start asking questions and you know, well, why? A young one will go, why, well, why? And so you try to answer the why to the other why. And then they'll go, oh, well, why? You know, you can't go but about five whys deep and you start to get in cosmic mysteries. It's the, it becomes theological. <laughs> Honey, I don't know. It's because God made it that way. Well, why? <laughs> how, many, how many of you experienced that? Just, just your children, just, just curious. Because we have built into our DNA a quest for the wisdom of God. To understand why, why, why things are the way they are. Why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. And sometimes in circumstances I can't explain because I didn't make choices to get myself there. But I know that ultimately God is working all things together for my good even though I, it looks like I can't even see that or understand that. And I know that He's also working into me the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. The image of Jesus in me. Are you kidding Yes, that's what the Word says. That's the eternal why right there. There are things that I face, that you face, that don't have an example, they don't have a description, they don't have, they don't have a definition sometimes. But there's a God why behind it that He says, I am changing you. I want you to grow through what you're going through. The Scripture very simply just says, Ask and you will receive. God will not find fault. He won't rebuke you for asking for wisdom. And so, I've said that numerous times. God, I don't know what's going on. I ask you to teach me. Show me not just what, but why. Show me. Teach me, Lord. Help me so that what I'm dealing with, that I'll be able to help some other people. I don't want to waste this. I want to grow through what I'm going through. It's only when you grasp that that you can do what 2 Corinthians 1 says. You can comfort others with the comfort wherewith you have been comforted. Six months after dawn passed, I looked at Brenna Vest, who a few years prior had lost her son and her dad, and she was diagnosed with cancer, with all of that, just in a really short period of time. And I went to Brenna in tears, and I said, Brenna, I love you dearly. My family loves you so much. And I said, I want to ask you to forgive me. She said, what for? And I said, I didn't do a good job pastoring you when you were going through that whole period in your life. She said, what are you talking about? You were there, you came by several times. You called me on the phone. I said, yeah, I know, but it, I just, I didn't really understand what you were facing until I went through what I went through. Oh yeah, I, I, I had the grief classes. I, I had them in school of ministry. I've read the books. I knew the counsel. I knew when to keep my mouth shut, I knew what to say, I knew what not to say. I knew when sitting with someone who's grieving to just be there. Sometimes the worst thing you do is try to answer something. Just be there. Just let your presence be there and just love them. That's the greatest thing you can do. And she just said, oh, Michael, I'm so sorry you faced what you faced. And I said, well, I've learned from it. I've gotten something out of it. I, I recognized the level of pain. I, I've preached the funeral of every one of my loved ones, my grandparents, my Aunt Lucille. I didn't preach the funeral for my Uncle Dewey, but I sang at it. Everybody just expected, my whole family just always expected, you're the preacher, just buck up and do it. My dad, my mother. But when Don died, I said, I can't do this. I can't. This is too much. So I brought in my pastor friend. I want to tell you, I don't know what it is this morning. Somebody that's listening online, somebody that's sitting in this room today, you're going through something that nobody else in the room knows about, and there's a private pain, there's circumstances that you're in. And I'm sure there's some people that are listening that where you are is a product of decisions. You know what? Walk through it. Make decisions to step out of it at the timing of the Lord. But some of you are in things that you didn't choose. You didn't do anything to get yourself in that. I want to tell you, God's not forgotten you and in your middle in the middle of your weakness God will give you his strength to show up so that you can endure so that you can make your way through this and you can grow through what you're going through somebody say amen, amen. just listen as i close this morning Romans chapter 5 says this Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. See, religion says do, the gospel says done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that help, they help us develop hupomone, they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time to fill our hearts. And, to, and he died. I'm sorry, let me get it right. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Verse 8, and that's my last verse, I'm finished. But, everybody say but. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I must choose to grow through what I Go through And growth only begins in a step of faith, and that is when I turn my heart toward Jesus Christ. He's already done everything that is the requirement of a holy father, a father who loves us, but a father who is just and whose holiness demands righteousness. And that's not me. My righteousness is as filthy rags, but Jesus has got it all. And because I come to him, the Gospel gives us this idea of taking my sin off of my account and putting it on Jesus' account, taking Jesus righteousness, His right standing with the Father, and taking it off of His account and putting it onto my books, my heavenly accounting books. It was a little it was very much a transaction. Jesus did and God received, and now I must just reach out to him in faith and say, I trust you. I trust God and I lean into you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If that's you this morning, you're going through something you don't have, you don't have any definition, you don't have any explanation for whatsoever. Maybe God's using this to bring your attention to him to say, you know what, recognize your weakness. And all you've got to do is just call upon me and I will bring my strength to bear in the middle of your weakness. All of us were wretched, blind and poor and And The Bible talks about the amazing grace that God has given us so that we could, who were blind now see. We could, who were lame now walk all by the Spirit. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, if you would say with me, Pastor, please pray for me. I, I, I want to trust God for the very first time. Or if you would just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm, I'm in one of those seasons of trouble. And I need to consider it an opportunity for great joy. Slip your hand up. I want to pray for you this morning. Yes, all around the room. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whoever you are, God knows your number. He knows where you live. He knows your address. He knows your heart. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. I want the congregation, if you would, let's pray together and let's support our brothers and sisters who've lifted their hands for prayer this morning. Pray with me right now, everybody out loud. Here we go. Father, thank you for this word. Show me how to grow through what I go through. I ask you for strength. Your word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And with that in mind, I pray, Jesus, save me. I trust you. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. for that.